We are grateful to the Lord to be in the house of the Lord again. Um, we have made it back um, through another year, and uh, we are truly grateful for that. God in his um, sustaining power and care and love and grace and mercy has, has kept us the, the full breath of another year. And um, we will be discussing just a little bit about that, the importance of understanding the grace of God and how it impacts us specifically throughout our lives. And we're going to look at what happens in the life of Paul today. And I hope this will be an opportunity, specifically on the first day of the year, um, to remember, or the second day of the year, but in the new year, to remember the importance of having um, a reflective mind and a, and a heart that remembers the goodness of God and looking back um, on the things that God has done for us even if we may not always acknowledge it in the moment or realize it in the moment, I want us all at the end of this sermon, hopefully, to be able to look back at our lives and think, you know, I have seen, you know, the goodness and the grace and the mercy of God, you know, all throughout my life. And I really want to focus in on that and be more grateful and be more thankful to him for his grace and his mercy. So we will be looking today at um, Acts chapter 23. We'll start in verse 12. And the sermon today is called Providence and Protection, Providence and Protection. And these are two of the more important words in the Christian faith, I do believe. And they are typically connected right to one another, Providence and Protection. Today, we're going to look at how Paul's life is going to be providentially protected by God in the midst of him you know, doing and striving the best that he can to live an upstanding life and proclaiming the gospel. Now, it is going to be interesting because I think most of us, if we know about Paul's life and if we know how Paul's life ends, how he ends up, you know, his last years in a Roman prison and he's going to be beheaded. You know, you may be thinking, well, it doesn't seem like God really protected Paul for all that long, but I don't want you to miss the goodness of God in the life of Paul and perhaps even in your life. I don't want you to miss how God absolutely is working seemingly bad things and events together for our good, how he is sovereignly and providentially working those together for his glory and our good. And so being a part being a part of being a Christian, rather, is being able to look back at our lives and look at them as they are currently, but also see going back how God was working through them in his goodness and in his sovereignty, causing everything that has happened in our life to come together the way he has caused it. So what I hope that you find today is hope and joy in what God did in the life of Paul. But I also hope that you find peace for yourself as well as knowing that God is able to take care of you the same way he has done for Paul here. So go with me, if you will, to Acts chapter 23. We're going to start at verse number 12. Acts 23, verse 12. It says, when it was day, the Jews made a plot and bound themselves by an oath neither to eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. There were more than 40 who made this conspiracy. They went to the chief priests and elders and said, we have strictly bound ourselves by an oath to taste no food till we have killed Paul. Now, therefore, you, along with the council, give notice to the tribune to bring him down to you as though you were going to determine 
his case more exactly. And when we are ready to kill him before he comes near. Now the son of Paul's sister heard of their ambush. So he went and entered the barracks and told Paul. Paul called one of the centurions and said, take this young man to the tribune, for he has something to tell him. So he took him and brought him to the tribune and said, Paul, the prisoner called me and asked me to bring this young man to you as he has something to say to you. The tribune took him by hand and going aside, asked him privately, what is it that you have to tell me? And he said, the Jews have agreed to ask you to bring Paul down to the council tomorrow as if they were going to inquire somewhat more about uh, closely about him. But do not be persuaded by them. For more than 40 of their men are lying in ambush for him. We have bound ourselves by an oath neither to eat nor drink till they have killed him. And now they are ready, waiting for your consent. So the tribune dismissed the young man, charging him, tell no one that you have informed me of these things. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you um, for the word of God. Lord, we thank you how, um, God, you have so brilliantly orchestrated all of our lives, God. You have done it um, in your grace, in your mercy, in your sovereignty, in your control, and in your power. God, help us see in the life of Paul how you have orchestrated everything that happened for him and how even in our own lives, God, there is nothing that happens outside of your control. Everything that happens, you know about because you caused it. Help us see that and help us see how you have just been good to us throughout all of our years. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this is the situation here. We have a group of Paul and gospel-hating Jewish men who had come together and they secretly plotted, because of their hate for the gospel, because of their hate for Paul, they had plotted to kill him. Again, we have a situation here where these are the people who are supposed to be at that time, you know, the benevolent religious elites. They are supposed to be the ones who are behaving, you know, reverently for God. But obviously here they're actually behaving rather irreligiously as they typically would do. Having grown tired of the gospel of Jesus Christ, they reason that the only way they're going to be able to snuff out the gospel from spreading is that they're going to have to end the life of the man they think is chiefly responsible for the gospel being spread. And so the only thing they can reason to do is that they must kill Paul. In fact, they are so serious about this mission that they make an oath. They take a vow among themselves that they would not eat anything until Paul was killed by their hands. Now, this is the worst type of wickedness. And not only are they disregarding Roman law here, they're also disregarding the law of God, the law that they claim to be bound to. Why is this especially contradictory? Because this is very similar to the same thing that their forefathers had done when it came to Joseph. Jealous of the favor that Joseph had received from his father, what they did was they premeditated a plot on his life so that they could kill him. Now, if you know the story about what happens with Joseph, what ends up happening is that Reuben has a bit of a conscience, not much of one. He says, maybe we shouldn't kill Joseph. Maybe if we just 
pretend like he's dead. Let's just convince our dad that he died. Then maybe we'll be all right. Now, what ends up happening is that Joseph ends up getting sold into slavery. He gets sold to Potiphar. And if you remember, in Potiphar's house, he's accused of attempting to rape Potiphar's wife by the wife. He is thrown in prison for years. He interprets a, he interprets a dream for Pharaoh, is forgotten about, but then comes back and he ends up being the second in command in Egypt. And he was the exact person that the brothers, when there was a famine in Israel, that they had to come to. And Joseph, once this happens, as the brothers do not recognize him, having sold their brother into slavery, their brother now the second in command, chiefly responsible for their salvation in their minds and their survival. These are the words that he uttered to them in Genesis 50 and 20. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. This is where if you've ever heard somebody say, but God, this is where we interject that when there is an obvious way something in our life could have gone, potentially should have gone. But the intervening grace of God reorchestrated what was going to happen so that it didn't have to happen. And that's exactly what happens here. He says, for you, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. So what this is saying is that, no, God doesn't try to reconfigure the future because he doesn't know what's going on. What it says is God completely orchestrated this event, knowing that these men were meaning for evil. But God was using what their evil appeared to be for his good. That has been happening for the believers since the origination of time. When we were created, we think, oh, wait, this evil that happened in the garden when man falls. But what God was doing is you meant it serpent for evil, but I will use this evil that has happened for my good. What is that good? He gives us Jesus to bear the burden of our sins because of his almighty wisdom. His all knowing power. And so when Joseph here says, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good, this is not the got you back message, by the way. Because actually, if you know the story, what happens is when he sees his brothers, he runs and he weeps. He's actually saying, instead of, you know, I told you, he's saying, look at the grace and mercy. Look at the providence of God. You did all of what you did to me so that your evil would befall me. But what you didn't realize, and if Joseph is honest, he probably didn't realize, was that God was using all of what happened for a plan and his purpose. And as much as we want to think that this is about Joseph being vindicated, it's not. This is not about Joseph being vindicated. This is not about Joseph's justification, but rather this was God's plan to preserve the Israelites. 
And all the things that happened around Joseph and to Joseph was all a part of God's plan to once again show the Israelites, no, I am in control. I am the one who feeds. I am the one who delivers. I am your salvation. He allowed all this evil to happen to show that there is not a thing that escapes the judgment of God. Because God is in control. Now, why is all of this important? Why is it important to understand that God is in control of all these things that happen? Because doctrinally, we can trust all the places that life takes us because we know that we are subjected and submitting ourselves to a God who is working. But he's not just working, but he is also working according to a divine plan that he orchestrated before the foundation of the world. So as this mob in our Acts text plans to kill Paul, they even plan to deceive the tribune into thinking that they were actually going to be working something in his case. But that was so that they could have him handed over to themselves so that they could kill him. So as they are planning this, we are introduced to a member of Paul's family that we have not heard talked about or mentioned to this point. This is one of those um, when I teach acts, those sneak questions, I ask somebody, what members of Paul's immediate family do we know about that he would have grown up with? We know that Paul has a sister. How do we know that Paul has a sister? Because in God's providence, as Paul's nephew, the son of his sister, is going around in the sovereign grace of God, minding his own business, he actually hears about this plot that's happening on the life of Paul. Now, Luke doesn't provide us intimate details of how this is uncovered, but I can tell you how it was uncovered. God revealed it to him. All of us have been in situations where you either were standing around a corner, you were coming down the street, you weren't eavesdropping, you weren't, and you hear something that is vitally important for you to hear. And it wasn't because you were trying to hear it, it's because God revealed it to you. Each one of us in some sort of way has had God reveal things in his grace to us that we otherwise wouldn't have known about if it had not been for him. And so what happens? God placed his nephew right there at the right time so that he could hear that conversation reported to Paul and Paul's life be spared. Now, we may think, well, couldn't have God just have prevented them from conspiring in the first place? Of course he could have. But then there is an element of his goodness that we wouldn't know. We wouldn't see how God protected Paul there. The old folks in the church used to say that he has protected us from danger seen and unseen. Y'all know it. All of us, if we would really look back, can say that we have a testimony of God's provision and we have a testimony of God's protection. Now, depending on your worldview, you may ascribe God's protection to something else, to something differently. On September 11th, 2001, Michael Jackson had a meeting 
on one of the top floors in the World Trade Building. He didn't make that meeting, though, because he overslept. Now, when asked about it, he simply regarded it as luck. He was lucky to have overslept that day. He was lucky to have not made that meeting. He was lucky to have not been in that building. He was lucky to have not perished. But it wasn't luck. It was God. If our lives and all the potential fatal things that can happen every day are just left up to luck and chance, what are the odds that any of us would be alive? Think about it. It would probably be, if not zero percent, it will be very close to it. There are plenty of people who go to the doctor and receive some report or diagnosis. And of course, there is always this surprise as if it is some dramatic thing or something that they didn't expect. This is why Chris calls me like the worst hypochondriac, because I watch a lot of stuff and I'm always Googling stuff and the millions of things that could go wrong with our bodies. And I mean, if I see one hint of a symptom, I'm like, Chris, I got it. Like, I, I got this. She's like, Brandon, like one in a billion people get that. And you think you're the, I, I got it. Lord is sovereign. Like, I might be the one. Like, that's me. I merely think I got all the symptoms of every disease. Now, I'm crazy, but if you think about the millions of functions that you have going on continually in your body right now, that if even for one second, if even for one second one of those functions goes wrong, you be dead. And the fact that that doesn't happen is not a matter of luck. It's not a matter of chance. It is ascribed to the grace of God. It is God's provision. It is God's protection. God is responsible for who lives. God is responsible for who dies. And that's difficult for some people to understand. Jesus tells us that not even a sparrow falls to the ground and God doesn't have a clue about it. That means that God is more than capable of keeping us and protecting us, but we need to know that it is him who does it. Why is it so important? I was having a conversation with someone um, recently and she emphatically told me that God was not responsible if we get sick or if we are poor or even if we die. Which was particularly, you know, damaging because she had a brother who died a few years ago prematurely and a sister. And I asked her, I said, well, then who is responsible if we don't get sick? Who's responsible if we aren't poor? And who's responsible if we don't die? She said it was God. And I said, so you mean to tell me that God is powerful enough to prevent all those things from happening, but not so powerful to control whether they actually happen or not? That is a bad God that you serve. And then I showed her in Isaiah where he says that God causes calamity. It is God who afflicts. So that means that it is God 
who also must heal us. What makes God good? It is that when he afflicts us, not if, when God afflicts us, he does so with a purpose. And when he protects us from affliction, he does so with a purpose. I've said before in a sermon, the same reason that Jesus is not delivered off the cross is the same reason that the three Hebrew boys are delivered out of the furnace, because that's what God wanted to happen. That's it. Listen, if you don't understand the sovereignty of God, this is something I want you to think about. There was a 99 year old woman fully prepared to celebrate her 100th birthday and she died on the very last day of the year. God is in control of who lives and dies. And all throughout our world, he is giving us these signs and these reminders. No, it is me who is in charge. And I looked up, of course, after that. It's like, do old people really just die? Because, you know, we'll say, you know, so-and-so died of old age. Like, we always want to give some meaning to it. And I looked it up, and that actually doesn't exist. Age is not a cause of death. So if somebody goes to sleep and doesn't wake up, and it's not because they're 150, then that means there must be an external righteous cause of life and death that no amount of going to the gym can escape, no amount of eating right can mitigate, that we're all subjected to God's plan. In the book of Joel, God speaks of how he is going to restore to Israel the years of famine, a famine where the locusts and the different types of worms had actually eaten the crops But once he says that through the prophet Joel, he says, but I'm going to restore to you the years as a result of the army that I sent. He says the locusts, I sent them. The worms, I sent them. And so when I restore to you that which was was, that which was lost, I'm restoring what I took. What does Job say? The Lord gives, and it's also the Lord who takes away. Why does God give? Because he's good. Why does God take away? Because he's good. And so he says that he had sent that crop to Israel to do what they were supposed to do. Has God afflicted somebody in here? Of course. He's afflicted every one of us. Has God also protected that protected you from that affliction and harm? Of course he has. I want you to sit up in your bed one night, maybe tonight when all that snow's supposed to be hidden. And I want you to think about how the, the one muscle that is at the center of everything that happens in your life that keeps you going, keeps you thriving, keeps you alive. I want you to think about that muscle. I want you to listen to that muscle beat. I want you to hear it. And then I want you to think about it. 
That muscle is an involuntary muscle. What does that mean? These, and when I, I'm moving that because I want to move it. I'm moving my toes if y'all can do that. My feet. All that stuff I'm moving, that's voluntary muscles. I can move them when I want to. But the heart, the muscle, the muscle that we would say is chief to our existence, involuntary. Which means I have no control over whether it beats or not. I mean, really think about it. I want you to think about how it is out of your control. Then think about what will happen next when you go to sleep. That is, after, you know, if you think about this, you can go to sleep, maybe a little paranoid. Think about how you're going to go unconscious for, you know, some of y'all sleep, you know, five, six, seven, eight, Alex, 12 hours. You're going to go unconscious for a span of time where there is an infinite amount of things that can go wrong and you have no control over because you're asleep. And yet, God wakes you up. So I wanted to get a, a tangible image, right? And I want you to understand how good God has been in me. Some of y'all are older than me. Some of y'all are younger than me. But I want to give you some, some numbers. Because I was researching heavy when I was working on this sermon. So for those of you who don't know, I was born Thursday, October 17th. 1991. That means I'm 30 years old, somehow. I have lived, I had to calculate ahead of, you know, because I was writing this last week, so I had to project to Sunday, so I'll be accurate, just in case I made it. I didn't know if I was. I have lived 11,035 days on earth. Since I was born, I had to say this number so many times because I could not get it right. My heart has beat 1,329,414,835 times. That's how many times my heart has beat. Not one time did it just stop. What are the odds that in one billion times my heart wouldn't just stop? Since I've been living, two million people or so have died every year. Two million people die a year. And just from cancer and accidents alone, 700,000 people die every year. That's just from cancer and accidents combined. I have been in a car for roughly 14,000 miles a year. Not only have I not been killed in an accident, I ain't even been in one. Alicia. Alicia getting she getting an accident every 20 trips. That one in my notes, I'm sorry. I just thought about it. But what does that mean when I think about those numbers? Well, one, I want you to think about that in your own life. Some of you are going to have heartbeats a lot more than mine, some fewer. Some of you have traveled a lot more. You've been in planes. You've been in other things. I've been in all those things. And when I look at this, 
When I look at how many times my heart has beat, how many times, how many days I've been on this earth, how many other people have died besides me. That also means that all applies for you, too. And what does that all mean? Just in case you don't realize providence and protection. Because ain't nobody in this room done anything to escape any of the harm that would have eventually taken our lives away. There are all these ways that just personally for me that God has protected me over my 30 years indirectly. But you know what I also remember? I don't I don't remember all these times my heart is beat. I don't remember all these other people who died. But you know what I do remember? I do remember when I was in kindergarten, I fell out of a tree and I had a subdural hematoma. And, you know, I could have had brain surgery. I couldn't sleep for more than two hours at a time over a 24 hour span. And I remember how God protected me. And not only prevented me from having brain surgery, but but prevented me from even death. I remember how I was driving my motorcycle one night when Chris and I were still dating. I had just left her house and I was crossing some tracks in West End, which I had to slow down for. And right as I crossed them, I was going about 10, 15 miles an hour. The chain on my motorcycle broke. And it immediately locked up and it slid a little bit, but I didn't go too far. And so some friends came and they actually lifted the motorcycle and took it to get the chain replaced. And one of the guys was a motorcycle mechanic. And he's like, you know what would have happened if you had made it to the freeway, which was about five to seven minutes away? And I guarantee I would have been doing about 80 miles an hour. At at best, right, I would have been mangled. At worst, I would have been dead. I remember that. I remember about when we were getting ready to have Elliot, how, you know, he was breaching. They couldn't see where the cord was. And Chris ended up having to have a C-section. And not only was the cord wrapped around his neck twice, but the doctor said it was a short and thick cord, which was the perfect concoction for a baby to die in labor. I remember that. I remember how God protected just last night, as Chris and I were driving back, we're in a, coming back from Tennessee, there's a car full of kids. They're just living it up, except Benjamin. Benjamin's pretty upset. But everybody else just living it up in the car. And all of a sudden, coming into Fort Payne, Chris's phone goes off. And it's the worst kind of alert that you want to hear in the wilderness, basically, on the freeway. And it said, tornado warning, take cover. Immediately, if you are a vehicle, go to in a vehicle, go to a place of safety. And I'm looking around. I see trees to my left. I see trees to the right. And I'm like, where are we going? Where are we going? To heaven. Because it wasn't no other alternative. And I'm like, all right, Lord, you know I'm preaching this sermon tomorrow. Like, you ain't going to do this, Lord. And I was like, but you did take better on the last day of the year. Like, what is what is this? And I was like, Lord, if you're going to keep us, you're going to keep us. If you're not, you're not. And he kept us. And in that moment, I'm reminded, danger seen and unseen. And so what am I saying about all of this as I close? 
Before we get into this new year fully, and before we start thinking about stuff that we want to change, before we start making resolutions, before we start looking to the future, I would challenge you to look back. Look back at our lives. Look back and just start thanking God for his goodness and his kindness and his faithfulness. Think about how he's shown that to us. Listen, we have no excuse to think every year is going to be better than the next year. The only reason you think that is because you're missing all the grace and the goodness of God currently. And what kind of God do we serve if he's only good in my future, but not good in my present? Can we scan the years of our lives and see that we are where we are only because of God's grace and his grace alone? That he didn't just protect Paul. He didn't just protect Joseph. But that God has protected you. And that God has provided for you. And that he has done this because he is the very definition of goodness, love, grace, and mercy. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the word. God, we thank you that in your goodness, in your grace, in your mercy, in your providence, in everything that you are, in your love and your kindness for us. God, that you have kept us that you have provided for us and that you've protected us. God, we thank you that everything that we endure, everything that we go through is orchestrated according to your wisdom, your plan, your sovereignty. And God, we just pray that you allow us to see how you are working those things together. But even when we don't see, when we're right in the middle of it, when we get that diagnosis, when we get... That reporter, when the kids are doing this and when the spouse is doing that, when the job is not going well, even when we are right in the thick of it, God, that that would be a chance for us just to look back. Look back in the word. Be reminded of all the things that you did, how you were orchestrating all of human history in the word of God. And then that we will be challenged to look back at our own lives, God. And see how even in that time you have been working out our lives according to your righteous plan and your glory. God, we are so thankful for a God like you. That our lives are not left up to luck. They're not left up to chance. But everything that happens, happens because that's what you want. And God, we just pray that you would ask, we ask that you would, Make us um, able to be okay with what you want. God, if there's anybody watching who's like, I don't know that God. Is anybody here listening today who's like, I, I don't know a God that is in control. I don't know a God that is protecting and providing God. Let them be reminded that your love extends so much that you sent Jesus to bear on the cross our sin guilt because we were born here apart from you with an enormous debt that we couldn't pay and that you sent Jesus to pay that debt in our place. And that if we repent and believe the gospel, you will fix our eternity with you. We thank you now. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.